The scripture lesson for today is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do you believe in ghosts? I didn't used to. And I've still never encountered or seen a ghost that I know of. But a lot of reliable folks I know claim that they have. We all have our favorite ghost stories from across the years. And mine took place, or takes place, less than a mile from the house where I grew up in southwest Atlanta. There's a railroad trestle crossing Stewart Avenue, or what used to be Stewart Avenue, now Metropolitan Parkway, about a stone's throw from where the buildings of the Capitol View Baptist Church used to stand. And on a Halloween night, sometime in the late 30s or early 40s, a little girl was supposedly run over on a railroad trestle that crossed the highway. She was killed instantly, the story goes. My mother and grandmother, who were living in the neighborhood back during those years, told the story as if it were the truth. And I don't doubt that it happened. Not that part of it anyway. Now, this word gets a little bit mysterious. Every year around Halloween, they say that the ghost of this little girl appears on the train trestle. Folks have claimed that they have seen her. And in the Atlanta papers, back in the early 80s, I believe it was, there was an article about this strange phenomenon. And the article told about a man and his wife who were riding along what was in Stewart Avenue that night. And they saw a little girl sitting beside the road, and she appeared to be crying. And they stopped and asked her what was wrong, and she said, Can you please give me a ride home? And they helped her into the car, and she gave her address. And when they arrived at the house, the man turned around to see if the little girl needed any help getting out of the car, and she was not there. He got out of the car, walked toward the house, knocked on the door very reluctantly, and a woman appeared at the door. And He said, I'm Mr. So-and-so, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but... And he told her what had happened. And she said, no, no, I don't think you're crazy. In fact, you're the fourth, maybe the fifth person who has brought my daughter home tonight. Now, a ghost, some people 
would call that an urban legend. There may be a little bit of truth mixed in with all the rest of that. But a ghost is defined as a disembodied spirit of one who is dead. What would you call the disembodied spirit of one who still lives? How about Holy Ghost, which is another way of referring to the Holy Spirit. That's what we say. When we stand to affirm our faith Sunday after Sunday and at other times as well, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So we do believe in ghosts, don't we? More specifically, we believe in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Article 4 in the Methodist Articles of Religion, adopted in 1784, the Holy Ghost proceeding from the Father and the Son, is of one substance, majesty, and glory with the Father and the Son, very and eternal God. In 1749, John Wesley, in a letter to a Roman Catholic friend, wrote these words concerning the Holy Spirit. He said, I believe the infinite and eternal Spirit of God equal with the Father and the Son to be not only perfectly holy in himself, but the immediate cause of all holiness that is in us. Enlightening our understanding, rectifying our wills and affections, renewing our nature, uniting our persons to Christ, assuring us of the adoption as children, leading us in our actions, purifying and sanctifying our souls and bodies to a full and eternal enjoyment of God. The Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible defines the Holy Spirit as the mysterious power of God, conceived in the first place as God's mode of activity, manifested especially in supernatural revelation to selected individuals, and in being their being possessed by a force which gave them strength, marvelous strength, courage, wisdom, and the knowledge of God's will and God's dealing with persons later identified with the personal presence of God and regarding the distinctive empowerment of God's people. And in the New Testament, understood as God's mode of operation in the church, made possible through the work of Christ and mediating the glorified Christ to his people and the church to its exalted head. And that's in one of our famous Easter hymns, isn't it? Following our exalted head, reference to Jesus the Christ. The word spirit comes from the same Greek word as wind or breath. Thus the hymn we sing, breathe on me, breath of God. And you remember when Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wills. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know from whence it comes or where it goes. And so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. Now, depending on which version of the Bible you use when you read and when you study, or depending on which passage in the Scripture that you look up and looking for references to the Holy Spirit, you'll find the Spirit is referred to by many different names. Comforter, Counselor, Advocate, Helper, Intercessor, and Teacher. Regardless, though, of the name by which you refer to the Holy Spirit, it is the third person of the Trinity and our way of believing and a unique revelation of our God. 
Two weeks ago, I began this series on the Apostles' Creed, and we began with the statement, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker or creator of heaven and earth. And we spent a little time talking about the difference in believing that something exists and believing in something, investing our lives and our hearts in it, acting as if it were true, and knowing deep down that it is. And last week, we talked about the second portion of the creed, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Today, our focus is on the third phrase in the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, at this point, I want to talk for a moment or two about some of the biblical foundations for our belief in the Holy Spirit, beginning, of course, with the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God is a power which acts in the material universe to sustain the physical lives of women and men. It's an impersonal power. In the very beginning and the time of creation, we are told, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters over the chaos, over the waters. To the Hebrews, God was completely apart from the world, or many believe that. God was all someplace, but could, would send a spiritual force to do things on this earth. And it was a spiritual force from which no one could escape. Where shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from thy presence, the psalmist would ask. Humans were dependent on the spirit of God for life. Genesis 6.3 And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with humankind, yet your days shall be 120 years. It was the spirit of God, folk believe, that kept them physically alive. Exceptional physical power was attributed to the spirit of God. Read the stories of that Old Testament hero, Samson, when he was attacked by the lion and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion asunder. He ripped it apart. And there are many references in the Old Testament as to how the Spirit gave words to the prophets, gave power to the prophets, gave them their vision. Zechariah speaks the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his Spirit by the former prophets. So God's been up to this for a long time. And the Spirit gives to the prophets earthly wisdom. But when we study the Spirit of God, the the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the spiritual development of the person is not the direction, it's not what the Spirit is up to. Now David does pray, take not your Holy Spirit from me in Psalm 51 and verse 11, that great psalm of repentance after his terrific sin. And it seems clear that he believes that God's Spirit is desirable, and not only desirable, but required for his own personal well-being, his own soul. But it appears to be a rare moment in the Old Testament. To the psalmist and to the prophets, God's spirit was a power. In contrast, in the New Testament, Jesus made it very clear to his disciples that a person would come and be with them just as he had been with them. In association with Jesus and now the Holy Spirit, the disciples were comforted by Jesus. They were taught, they were led in many ways. And now the Spirit would come and would take up that activity. The Spirit would teach them and keep their memories refreshed of who Jesus was and what Jesus said and did. The Spirit would become almost a personal companion, not almost, a personal companion. 
which would lead them to remembering their life in Jesus the Christ, would be carried on by the Father through the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8 of the lesson that Karen read today, and when he comes, he will convince the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I think the important point here for me is that when we speak of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we blame things on the Spirit or we credit the Spirit with things that are not in the Spirit of Jesus, what he would have said and done when he was here. The Holy Spirit will never act in a way contrary to what Jesus showed us and taught us during his time on this earth. Verse 7, the opening verse of our lesson, Jesus had said something strange to his disciples. It is, he told them, to your advantage if I go away. Now, how could that be? I mean, we may all have folks in our life, folks we met somewhere along the way. And if somebody said, well, it would be to your advantage if they would just go away, then, then maybe. Maybe we know somebody like that. But how could it be to their advantage if Jesus went away? It seemed like they would lose everything when he was gone. The joy of his presence, the blessing of his words, the inspiration of his example, the reality of his leadership. It is true that he promised that the Spirit would come in his place, but that was so vague. How could a Spirit unseen take the place of a person, of a physical presence? One of the strong appeals of the final coming for, of Jesus for folks is at this point. Many still think of the Holy Spirit as a gracious, divine influence, but not a living person. And many folks profoundly believe that if Christ were here today in the flesh, then all the problems of this world would be solved. Is that true? To begin with, we don't have any assurance that if he were here in the flesh, any more folk would believe in him and follow him than did in his own day. But even if he would be recognized by all people, not that many folks could be physically close to him at one time. Some people who had the money, the resources, might journey to where he was to see him, to be near him. He might be able to pack an arena or a sports stadium of folks who were were coming to hear him. But to preach to all the people, maybe on television, maybe an internet kind of thing, But that would not satisfy the longing that folks have in time of need to feel his hands on their shoulders or in a time of call and anointing his hands on on their heads. Charles Allen, a Methodist pastor of an earlier generation, and some of you may remember him or have read one of his many books, he said, it's so much better that Christ lives in my heart than it would be for him to live in the flesh in my city or maybe in some other city on the other side of the world. And I think he's right. To his disciples, Jesus said, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And the reason for the sorrow is that they could not at all understand that another person would come and take his place. And many folk today still grapple with that. For many, the Holy Spirit is still something very vague and and very impersonal, very distant. 
But there are also many folk today, even though they think of themselves as devout Christians, have no sense of an actual presence in their hearts and in this world. To many, God is, and I I hate this old expression, God is the woman or the man upstairs, like a landlord or something, just so impersonal, aloof from all the everyday happenings in this world. We feel that disconnected, folks do sometimes. And even back in, this was in the mid-1980s, a group of folks were asked if they thought that God understood computers, even at that time. And a large number thought, well, God did not. God was sort of a grandparent-like figure, kind and loving, but not really a part of what was going on in the world. Some think of him as almighty God, but so almighty that God has no time for earthly matters, for those things that trouble our hearts. To many, Christ is simply someone who lived on this earth nearly 2,000 years ago or more. And to these, the Christian faith consists mainly of studying the record of his earthly life. It embraced a period of perhaps 33 years. Some say that figure would vary some. But it's good to study what he said and did, to believe that he set some things in motion, to believe that he had lovely ideals, but now he sits on a throne and heaven at the right hand of God, and, and that's that. There are a lot of folks who don't believe that Jesus the Christ can be a part of their lives today and guide them and encourage them and inspire them. They're merely believing in a Christ who lived once, period, It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, then the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send the counselor to you. Dr. Russell Matby in his book, The Meaning of the Resurrection, said, When he, Jesus, had finished that which he had come to do and had shown himself to others, it was expedient for us that he should go back out of the here and to the everywhere out of the sight of some folks that he might be in the hearts of all folks. There's so much more that we could say about the Holy Spirit. We could spend a lot of time, a lot of time, and still just scratch the surface. We haven't had time to talk about the Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and having that assurance that the Wesleys talked about and sang about. We didn't have time to talk about the gifts of the Spirit or the fruits of the Spirit. And we have not had time to talk about the Spirit's coming on the day of Pentecost and the Spirit's role in the birthing and empowering of God's church. But we did get to talk about Christ and the Holy Spirit. And E. Stanley Jones said, The Spirit unfolds what is enfolded in Christ. I love that statement. I think that's one I'll I'll try to hang on to if I can remember it. The Spirit unfolds what is enfolded in Christ. And the Spirit reminds us that the Spirit will never act contrary to the ways of God the Father as revealed through Jesus the Son. And that's so important. And also important, maybe most of all, the Spirit of God is active and present in the world, in the church, and in our hearts. And we need to recall that when we are troubled by all that we see and hear right now, all that's going on in the world, where is the spirit involved? How can our eyes and our ears and hearts be open to see God's spirit at work in things that trouble us and and frighten us and sometimes anger us? That's so important.
the active presence of God in the church and in our hearts and in this troubled world. We need never be alone in any circumstance that life sets before us. Perhaps that's the greatest promise of all, whatever we face. God always with us. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen.